church and all the Bible, the classic passage on the spiritual war is found in Ephesians 6. We began it last week, four verses last week, four verses this week. Um, if you will stand with me, I'm going to read all eight verses to get it in flow. Ephesians chapter 6, the classic passage on the spiritual war. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. It was C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor, brilliant writer, former atheist, who writes a book on the spiritual battle called Screwtape Letters. In the preface of that book, he wrote these famous words. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And what he's reminding us of is that when it comes to the spiritual battle, we need to reflect a biblical emphasis on the spiritual battle. In fact, in every area of life, we need to reflect a biblical emphasis. Let's emphasize it to the degree that the Bible emphasizes it. And that means that we can, on the one hand, neglect and ignore it because it's kind of unpleasant. Some of you are doing that. On the other hand, we can have this morbid interest and even a fear about it, which is equally unhealthy. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70, and He says to them about the spiritual battle, He says, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. 
And what's Jesus saying if he's not? Look, the spiritual battle is important. You will tread on those demons because of me. But don't get excited about that. Get excited that your name is written in heaven. In other words, Christian, be not demon-centered. Be God-centered. Be kingdom-centered. Be Christ-centered. Focus on the Savior. Focus on the Lord. So, on the one hand, let's don't be morbidly preoccupied. On the other hand, some of you might go to the, to the extreme of neglecting the spiritual battle. Frederick Beekner put it this way, reality can be harsh. And you shut your eyes to it only at your peril. Because if you do not face up to the enemy and all his dark power, then the enemy will come up from behind some dark day and destroy you while you are facing the other way. We've got to be alert. And so this morning, as we begin the second half of the, of the passage on the spiritual battle, has Satan lulled you to sleep? Or are you healthily, biblically alert? There's a battle out there, and there are schemes against me. So last week, twice in the passage, verse 11 and verse 13, we were told, take up the armor of God. In fact, both times, take up the whole armor of God. You need it. You need it. And he immediately goes on to say, because the devil is scheming against you. Schemes, plots, uh, nefarious deceptions to trick you and devour you and ruin your soul. They're schemes. And then a bit later he goes on to say, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We all the time have these uh, uh, problems with humans. That's not the battle. The battle is spiritual against the dark forces of the enemy, the unclean spirits of Satan. So with that, um, he now begins to list the armor of God after saying twice, take it up, take it up. Now the armor is going to come from a Roman soldier at the time of Paul. And there are six pieces of the armor that he's going to detail, every one absolutely vital to us. We need the reminders, or we need the instruction. Oh, yeah, I, I need to put this on every day. All righty, verse 14, stand therefore, by the way, that is the fourth time in four verses God has commanded you and me, when it comes to the battle, stand. We don't run, we don't flee, we don't tuck tail. We stand against the enemy. He leaves because we stand in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, this belt of truth is not uh, just to hold your britches up, but it is to, like, hold the sword and kind of gather up this tunic that was flowing, and it's the belt of truth. Now, the first three or four of these can have a couple of meanings. For several reasons, I believe it is better to take this one, not as the truth found in the Word of God, though that is absolutely vital, he's going to get to that later in the sword of the Spirit. But rather, this is our own daily truthfulness, our truth-telling, our honesty. So in other words, when it comes to the spiritual battle, do you know what you and I need to do? We don't need some kind of magic formula to pray a certain way. We need to put on honesty and tell the truth. Or Satan is going to somehow get an inroad through our uh, duplicity or deception. Now, you remember in Jesus, in John 8, John 8, yeah, it was John 8, he said, Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. I mean, he is like 
the source of all of our lying. Jesus, by contrast, He is not only a truth teller, He is the source of all truth. He embodies truth. He said, I am the truth. So here's Jesus completely aligned with truth. Here's Satan completely aligned with lying. And every time you or I tell a lie of any kind, we're aligning ourselves with the devil rather than with Jesus. You want to do that? Of course not. Of course not. I'm talking about if you are married, if you're shading the truth, if you're not completely honest, if you're not committed to radical truth-telling in your marriage, you are not aligning yourself with Jesus. You're aligning yourself with the devil and exposing yourself to spiritual devouring. Now, how important is that? <laughs> that we be committed to church. Do the people around you, whenever you say something, that, that they take it to the bank. They know. Sean, he always tells the truth. If he said it, count on it. That is how you and I ought to be known, that we just, we are truth tellers. And some of you, you've gotten some ruts of dishonesty for a long time, and you think you're fooling people, but everybody around you knows it, and it's killing you. Tell the truth because of the, bat the battle. Always tell the truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is that uh, breastplate that just protects your vital organs. It extended from the neck down to the thighs. All the vital organs were, were protected. It, it was strong leather or chain mail or, in some cases, solid metal. And it was absolutely vital. I mean, you're in a sword fight or somebody's jamming a spear in your side. You need that, that uh, metal there, don't you? The breastplate of righteousness. Now, this one, uh, though it could be, the righteousness of Christ, which is the fundamental righteousness. And that, what that means, what that fancy term means, is right standing with God. We are given righteousness by His death on the cross. That is, we are forgiven for our sins and we have right standing with God. But I don't think that's the point here. I think it's, a, again, a practical daily righteousness in our daily lives, obeying the Lord. Just like the first one was part of the practical daily living. And so, I believe that this breastplate of righteousness is talking about you please the Lord. You, you live a holy life. You obey Jesus Christ. And that is a, a protection for you. And friends, we have got to know about the spiritual battle. Every time we step out of God's will, and I don't mean, oh, I'm seeking for God's will and He's, you know, you're not sure what it is. I'm talking about His his direct, explicit will all through the Scripture of what's right and what's wrong and the commands of God, every time we disobey one of those commands, it's like we're ripping off the, the, the breastplate and saying, stab me here. We're exposing ourselves to getting massacred. Every time we sin against God, we're exposing ourselves in the battle. So, can I be just really specific and practical, trotting out a few of the major sins that I see in the church today? First of all, it's going to be, mean full surrender to Jesus Christ. Nobody's perfect, but fully surrendered. Lord, I'm surrendered. 
That means there's no area of your life that you're holding back on God saying, mine. You can have all the rest, but I got this one. It means you're not looking at pornography. It means that you're not robbing God of the full tithe. It means you're not hanging on to unforgiveness or bitterness. As hard as it is, you're surrendering it to the Lord. Lord, you take it. I give it to you. It means that you don't give way to fear when fear assails us, as it always does for all of us. It assails us. We don't give way to it, but we bring it to God. It means husbands and wives that we are prioritizing our spouse the way God has called us to. No area of disobedience or rebellion against the Lord. Otherwise, we're exposing ourselves to vulnerability. Someone put it this way, Satan dines on what we withhold from God. He dines. He, he has a feast, and the feast is you if you are unsurrendered to God in any area. He dines on that. Bad picture. Okay, that's the second one. Okay, we're seeing kind of stuff in the spiritual battle. It's, it's not, uh, you know, going to hear some speaker give you things you never heard. We're talking about daily practical Christian living, obeying the Lord. Thirdly, the gospel of peace. The third armor, third piece of armor is for the feet. Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Could refer to the peace that the gospel gives because we have peace with God through the gospel. But I think, again, it's most likely the practical one of a readiness to share the gospel with those who don't yet know him. Now, here's a challenging one, isn't it? Because who among us is just great at leading people to Christ? I'm not. You know, this week we lost one of our real heroes of our day, didn't we? Billy Graham. But, you know, there's no Billy Graham here in terms of leading people to Christ the way he did. But you know what? Every single one of us is called to care about lost people around us and, and uh, to pray for them and to reach out to them and to love them and to serve them and as God gives opportunity to share Christ with them. If you're newer at Wood's Edge, you should know about this basket right over here. We call it Top 5. That's what it should be, and I know it's hard to see from back there. This is what it is. I have asked everybody at Wood's Edge to come to God and say, Lord, give me five people who don't yet know you that I can start praying for daily. And ask God to put these people on your heart. And if he puts them on your heart, it's probably because he wants to save them. And I just would encourage you to get those. And then be alert and, and uh, be available. And Lord God, I, I, this is not easy for me. It's not easy for me. Lord, this is not easy. But Lord, I, I, I want to have your heart for lost people. I want to reach out to neighbors and friends. Okay. That's the third one. Fourth one. The shield of faith. Now, this is, you know, the others were hanging on your body, but this is one you kind of take up and hold out here. There were two shields in the Roman, in the Roman soldiers. Uh, one was a, a, sh a small one that, you know, you could kind of wield around pretty handily. And then there was a big oblong one. And this is the word for the big oblong one that would cover most of your body. Now, you're in a, a raging sword fight there or somebody's ramming a spear at you. You want that shield out there, don't you? I mean, you want to stop that thing. And, and, and that is part of our armor in the spiritual battle. He says, the shield of faith. 
and all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, before a battle, this leather-covered shield would be soaked in water in order to extinguish fiery arrows of the enemy. Satan and his demons are shooting arrows at you and your loved ones all the time, daily. They're arrows. They don't announce themselves as arrows. Okay, I'm about to shoot an arrow at your soul. But rather, there's this wave of discouragement, this flash of fear, this uh, uh, temptation to lust, this uh, uh, guilt, even though you brought it to God and received His grace and forgiveness. There's condemnation. There's hopelessness. There's ingratitude. There's materialism. There's selfishness. There's gossip. There's anger. There's unforgiveness. These arrows that get shot to us, bring up your shield. Bring up your shield and trust God. It's a shield of faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own resources. Lord, you take care of this. I can't do it, but you can. Pull that shield out, church. Pull it out. John Eldridge, in his very first book before he was famous, Sacred Romance, said this. What is the source of the persistent accusations in our head and heart? It is a voice that speaks to us in tones and words vaguely familiar. The words and accusations that slide almost unnoticed into our consciousness are words we have heard before, sometimes from parents, peers, or the enemies of our youth. The voice that accuses us is so familiar, we have learned to think of it as our own. You've got an enemy shooting arrows at you. Pull out your shield. Lord, I'm trusting you with that. I say no to that. All righty, that's number four. Number five, helmet of salvation. Helmet here, you need the helmet. Fifth piece of armor is this assurance that Christ has saved me. And we're confident in God's love for us, that we're safe in Him, that we're forgiven for sins, we're headed for eternity, and that just changes everything for us. Now, we need to understand that Satan will attack your sonship. He did for Christ. Remember the very first temptation. What does Satan say to Jesus in Matthew 4? If not, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Uh, You know, I'm not sure you're the Son of God, but if you are the Son of God, God had just said that in, in Uh, the previous passage that this is my beloved son. If you really are, look, guys, we hear that voice from time to time in our lives, and some of you, by virtue of personality and wiring, you hear that voice a lot, and you think it's real and true in your life, and it's not. Your sonship will be attacked. Do you know why? Because if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus Christ, it's going to undercut your whole spiritual life. Am I, if I'm not sure I'm not even going to go to heaven, am I going to be secure to love the Lord with all my heart? Oh, no, I'm going to be scared to death like a pup. If I'm not sure all my sins are forgiven forever, and I think I'm on probation, man, that's going to lead to fear and guilt and pride of every kind, rather than I am a son, I am a child, I am so loved, so safe in Him, of course I love Him back and won't obey him and trust him. It's vital to the spiritual life. And certainly your personalities is like mine. And you've, you've, you've wrestled with that a lot. He's going to attack your sonship. 
you've got the helmet of salvation. You've got the Word of God that tells you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You've got the Word of God that says to you in 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. Not hope, not guess, know you have eternal life. You can know it. I don't give you false hope of salvation if you are hoping in you being religious enough or churchy enough or, you know, maybe you're thinking, uh, you know, I, I was raised in a Christian family. I, I go to a good church sometimes. Uh, I was born in America. If any of those kind of things is your hope, you got a false hope. But if, if you... You recognize for a holy God, you have sinned against a holy God, and your only hope is the Savior who died on the cross for you. Lord, my only hope is Jesus. If that is your attitude and heart, then church, you're saved. You're saved. Don't worry about the lies. Oh, maybe you didn't do it right or something like that. doesn't matter how you do it right. It's trusting God to save you, trusting a Savior. The helmet, put that helmet on. If you're not sure about it, get sure. Just right now, breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, I'm not sure what's happened in the past, but right now I'm trusting you as my Savior. Come and save me. And he'll do it. It's done. And you don't have to do it tomorrow. It's done. He saved you. All right, that's the helmet of salvation. One more, one more. It is the only offensive weapon. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which this one, he, he, he tells us exactly what it is. The sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now, that Word of God is your only offensive weapon. It wasn't the big, long, broad sword that you might see in Braveheart or something. It was a short sword. It was uh, sharp on both sides, double-edged. You could wheel that thing around. That uh, clarifies Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, God gives us a great gift. In Matthew 4, he tells us of an encounter with Jesus, with Satan himself. And the reason he's telling us this is not just so we can understand Jesus' life, but also how we can understand how we fight the spiritual battle. So Satan comes at Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What does Jesus immediately say? It is written. He throws another accusation. What does Jesus say? It is written. He comes at him again. What does Jesus say? It is written. You see a pattern there? He pulls out the Word of God and doesn't simply cite it but he submits to it. It won't, won't help you any just to know it. you got to obey it. But he knows the Word of God. Now, church, it is because I love you that I'm telling you, you have got to know this book. It has got to be part of your soul. And it doesn't happen with a little bit of time here and there. It happens over about 10 or 15 or 20 years as you soak in it daily. Now, you better get started if, you, if you're not already started. But you need this sword or you're 
wagging out there in the battle and all these swords and spears, and you don't have anything but your two hands there. Get your sword. Get your sword. Pull it off the shelf and use it. Church, do you know the Bible? Do you obey the Bible? Do you, do you, do you, have you, are you memorizing Scripture verses? You've got an attack of guilt this morning. I wrestled with this some. You know what I did? I pulled out my sword out of my scabbard, and I pulled out Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> if you are in a time of temptation, and Satan says to you this, he says, you can't help yourself on this one. You'll sin. You'll sin. Just watch. You'll sin. You always do. Your, your parents did. That's the way y'all do it. And he's trying to convince you you don't have any choice but to sin. You know what you do? You pull out of your sword, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Endure it. Take that. I don't have to fall and succumb to that sin. Or you, you're, you're covered over with worry. I mean, we struggle as humans with worry. Some of you right now walked in just all covered over with worry. What do you do? You pull out of your sword, John 14, 1. I think it's the verse I have used in the battle more than any single verse in all the Bible. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. You don't have to worry. Or... You're going through some suffering, dire suffering, like Larry was. And if I'm in that prison there in Dominican Republic, and I've got boils on my body because there are rats in the water, and I've got my two boys back home and my wife back home, and I don't know if, if, or, or if ever I'm going to get out of this place, and, and you're, you're going you're to wonder why I'm doing this. Why, why, is he, why is God allowing this? Well, this is what you do. You pull out of your sword, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding of why you are going through this. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Pull that verse out. Guys, you need the Word of God in your arsenal at your fingertips. In December, I spent... A fair bit of time thinking through, praying through. If we had 52 verses, one a week for 52 weeks, one a year, what are the most 52 vital verses to learn? And um, I started off, I don't know with how many, a lot more than 52, and got it down and got it down and got it down, and, and uh, I came up with 52. They're on that card that you can barely read on that bookmark. <laughs> and I consider those the 52 most vital verses to memorize. Now, judgment call, some of them, but they're vital. And I would encourage you, just get after them. Just one a week. Okay, every Sunday, beginning of the day, I'm going to learn it. Now, that, that brings a problem because uh, this is what I've discovered, is that some people, their brain wiring just doesn't memorize well. And, and they, they may be a lot brighter, smarter than people who memorize well, but that's just not their brain wiring. So what do you do? Well, 
I was talking to a woman after the first service, and, and what she said to me is, is, I just meditate on it. I just soak in it, soak in it. And, and if you do that, you'll know the truth of it. Now, hopefully, you can memorize it. You've got to keep reviewing them because they'll slip away from us. But, but uh, you've got to meditate on them and just live in them. And church, it will make all the difference in your spiritual life. You've got to pull that thing out. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Okay. Now, after listing those six pieces of armor, he closes the passage with this. When he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, infused by the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Four times. Friends, it's because this is how you fight the battle. I don't think it's another piece of the armor, but just the atmosphere that we use all the armor in. Uh, we pray because the battle is spiritual, not, not fleshly. It's not physical. So we pray. How, how can we not pray? I mean, if you're in the middle of a, of a gunfight and, and there's bu bullets whizzing by you left and right and blood was flowing and shrapnel was falling, man, you, you'd be too scared not to pray. Guys, we got a spiritual battle going on around us. Look at our country. Look at our families. Look at our marriages. This is how we fight the battle. Men, as I said last week, you've got special responsibility. Now, in the 1300s, a knight had a sword that he used to protect his family. We don't fight with a sword, not a literal sword. We pray. We pray. And your family is getting attacked. And your church. And your community. And your country. Men, we protect our families, churches, communities, and country with prayer. Fight the battle. Take up your armor and fight the battle. Stand in the battle, and the enemy will flee. That armor includes truth-telling. Man, I just going to tell the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. It includes righteousness, practical obedience in daily lives. It includes a readiness uh, to share the gospel with the lost. It includes being sure of what Christ has done for me on the cross. It includes a shield of faith. I'm going to trust the Lord, not my own understanding. It includes the sword of the Spirit. Stand. Take up that armor. Stand. Stand with me now. Lord, thank you for the warriors all over this church. Men, women, children, warriors. Lord God, some of us are getting hammered out there. Lord, we got some teenagers and some adults getting hammered out there, Lord God, getting pulverized. Lord, to, today in this moment, seven, eight, nine hundred people, Lord God, we are praying that you would set them free in this moment in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Rescue them, Lord God, in the battle. Set them free. We tell Satan, be gone. Be gone. Lord, put your armor of protection around every one of us. Every one of us. And we take it up. And we take it up. Bless these, your people. Oh, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.